All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, sorry for the delay. You know, life gets busy, uh, but we're back now with a brand new episode of the Echoes Unlimited podcast. Uh, this episode is with one of my very good pals, one of my very good friends. His name is Luke Potosky. Luke is a co-worker of mine uh, with the Cleveland Guardians. And Luke is one of the most interesting people I've ever met. He is a Kirtland grad. Uh, local kid, graduated from Kirtland High School, uh, went on to John Carroll University, graduated from there, is working on his master's now. Uh, he's a lifelong Cleveland fan, so having him on the podcast to talk about Cleveland sports uh, was really, really cool because he always has uh, some interesting stuff to share, and you guys will see that in this episode for sure. Um, he's formerly with the Cleveland Browns, so he's made his way around Cleveland working for different sports organizations here and he's just done a great job and um i asked him if he had a special message and luke's a stand-up guy such a stand-up guy uh that he decided to take his take the message that he wanted to share with the people before the podcast starts he wanted to shout out his brother uh logan who i had the chance to meet earlier this week uh logan is the voice of the lake county captains uh the high a baseball team for the cleveland guardians uh, so Luke wanted to give Logan a shout out, uh, shout out to Logan for just graduating college as well. Uh, but yeah, other than that, please enjoy this podcast with my boy, Luke Petoskey. Uh Don't forget to subscribe. Uh, don't forget to like the video. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I will see you soon. All right, um, LP, my man, thank you for coming on. Um, question for you. Uh, what do you do? So today's an off day for you, right? Yep. Okay. So what, what do you do on a, on a normal off day? Uh, well, since I'm, uh, since I'm from around the Cleveland area, lifelong, lifelong Clevelander, um, I, there's always something to do because uh, both sides of my family, my mom's side, my dad's side, uh, are both in the area. So there's almost always something going on with that. Um, especially for today, um, I've been living uh, on the John Carroll campus with my brother, and um, the school year's kind of wrapping up. He's going to be graduating in like 10 days or something like that. And which kind of going to take today and just get a bunch of stuff out of there, fill up my car with what we can. And um, I'll, I'll be doing that. And then there's uh, something going on um, up at my uh, high school um, that they've kind of invited me to, and they kind of timed it right. Cause it's, it's an off day. It's one of those rare baseball off days. Yeah. Um, so I'll be doing that too. So, you know, I, I like to keep myself busy. Um, to, and if there is really nothing going on, um, Terrence, you know me. I'll 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 find something to do. Uh, you know, like there's always there's always something I can uh, I can look for, something I can find. Um, that's one of the great things about uh, being uh, being able to work in sports information. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's funny you say that because yeah, if there's if there's something about ULP, I know that you you will find something to do uh, for sure. Uh, so. You're, you've been asked to go back to your high school. Is it like an alumni thing or is it just like, are you going to visit or what, what's that situation? Um, a little bit of both. Um, you know, it, it, the good thing is, is that I try to stay close to all of my platforms. So um, for those that don't know, um, I went to Kirtland High School, John Carroll University, and I've been able to have the chance to work with a couple of pro sports teams um, here in Cleveland. And um, I've stayed close to each one of those platforms. So um, I still I still stay in touch with, with some people from the Browns. Uh, obviously, I'm working for the Guardians now, and uh, it's one heck of a group that's uh, there. We have a we have a very a nice tight knit group, even if we've just met each other only a few months ago. Um, John Carroll uh, would not be where I am without uh, my education there and my. Uh, introduction to sports to sports information there so i'm always giving back and 
especially this year where I've kind of been um, full time with uh, either the Browns or the Guardians, been able to give back and either mentor some of the uh, new people entering the sports information realm or uh, if it's going to a basketball game and I'm like, hey, I, I'm here. Uh, I, I'm all right being just a fan, but if you want, uh, if you want someone to talk to the players after the game, help who's writing the recap, let me know, you know, um, and then high school um, giving back uh, in the sense of um, I called a, a playoff basketball game with my brother featuring uh, featuring our uh, high school and the kids love that. And um, I help run. Um, I, I would say one of the more uh, notable um social media presences for high school football, the Kirtland Horner stack crew, um, kind of, kind of run their, uh, social media platforms and run their kind of sports information thing, if you will. So, uh, always giving back to all those different, uh, platforms and, uh, keep myself busy. Um, and you know, it, it's been great. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I'm glad that you do that. And that's super cool that you're able to it have continue to have a connection to all of the places that you've touched over the past few years and to still, you know, continue to do the things that have gotten you to where you are today. And, you know, I, I you talk about the Kirtland Hornets staff group. Is that what it's called? Yep. I've seen your spreadsheets. They're, <laughs> they're very impressive. Very impressive, my man. Very impressive. So um, when did you, decide and like when did you figure out like oh I want to do something in sports information information I want to do something in you know pub public relations related to sports like when did you make that decision and how did that impact your schooling so I was born sorry that's a weird way to start it but yeah <laughs> go ahead no I was born uh I was born September 10th 1999 uh, I was almost a 9999 baby. And for those that may not know, um, the Cleveland Browns back in 1995 were uh, moved from Cleveland to Baltimore. They became the Baltimore Ravens. Cleveland was without a football team for a few years. I think in like 96 or something, they got the NFL said we're putting an expansion team in Cleveland, tore down the old stadium, built a new stadium. And that's kind of what you see today. Long story short, I was born two days before the Browns came back uh, for their first regular season game. So my first name was almost Cleveland because of how much how much the city and how much the sports teams uh, kind of mean to my family, but um, ultimately settled on Luke for a different reason, biblical reason. Um, but sports have kind of been part of my life basically the whole time. You know, I like I was one of those kids played as many different sports as I could growing up. Uh, dabbled some track but mainly played uh, baseball basketball and uh, football for pretty much my whole life and then of course dabble in some golf dabble in some tennis um, you know pickleball's on the rise Terrence we got to go uh, try to find some pickleball courts you know oh boy um, <laughs> yeah but um, you know I've been involved with sports and uh, sports were kind of my uh, first love or first passion if you will um, but coming out of uh, or getting ready to graduate from high school, uh, I knew that there were sports management degrees, but, uh, you know, like sports management kind of sounds uh, very businessy, front office-y, and I don't, I don't mind that at all, but uh, clearly I, I wanted something to do with sports information, but at the time, I had no idea what sports information was or what that realm was. I knew, I knew what I liked about sports. I knew that I liked to cover sports, and so maybe it was like a journalism track, or maybe it was a coaching track and I, I think uh, just talking some ball with uh, Terrence Terrence will be a a great future coach um but uh thanks buddy yeah absolutely um but uh no I didn't know what the sports information realm was until I was introduced to uh there's a sports information uh department at John Carroll and uh the late sports info director Chris Wensler uh, he passed away from, I believe, multiple myeloma during uh, COVID, but he kind of introduced uh, my brother and I to what sports information was. And the way he phrased it to us was, look, you can you can go to class and 
you can, uh, you know, watch the games, watch the games with your friends in the stands and leave whenever you want. And uh, that's still a great college experience. Um, what he was offering us was, look, you can get paid as a college student to watch sports. And like growing up watching sports, like, uh, like what's, what's not to like about that? Yeah, you know, It's a dream come uh, true. Absolutely. And, and like, obviously you're not working hours upon hours upon hours, but you know, it's, it's a great supplement to the college experience, uh, being able to have that opportunity um, to not only develop relationships inside that department, but also develop relationships with uh, athletes who are uh, developing promising careers outside of sports or developing relationships with coaches, whether they're still there or I had some coaches that I worked with who are now uh, assistants in the NFL. So like it's, it's having those relationships, building them, uh, and also having the experience of um, being, being a part of the sports teams, but being a part of the sports teams without actually being on the sports teams. Because if I'm being honest, I, I, I'm not good enough to be a Division three athlete, but uh, I'm certainly um, good enough in the sense of uh, being able to establish a relationship with them and make their experience the best that I can. That's a good way to look at it, LP. And I'll be, yeah, I, I can... Being your coworker for the past, what has it been, three months almost? I think it's been three months and one day. Three months and one day, yeah. Being your coworker <laughs> for the past three months and one day, I've been able to see that sort of relationship building that you're able to do, uh, the work ethic, and then just the passion for these the, the different sports. It's like you're well-versed in baseball, basketball, and football, which is not something you see very often. Um, you know, I'll, I'll speak from my own experience. I was, I, I was a huge basketball guy. I mean, you know, went to school, played there, all that stuff. And I'd only watched college basketball, NBA, a little bit of NFL and my MLB viewership has dropped. Like during college, I watched the 2017 playoffs, uh, where the Yankees beat the Red Sox. And I watched the 2018 playoffs where the Red Sox won the World Series. Uh, 2019, I don't think I watched. Uh, 2020, I don't think I watched. 2021, I did watch because the Red Sox were in in the postseason. But like, that's the only time I ever watched Red Sox baseball. Speaking with you, you can recall something that happened during a random regular season Cleveland Indians game 15 years ago. And I'm just like, what the heck? So, and and then you can go on to have a discussion about uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers and, and their different players that they've had throughout the years. So I guess like growing up in a city like this, where it's a huge sports town, like they really get behind their, their teams here. Is it just like ingrained in you? Or is that just something that you develop personally? Um, so that's actually a, that's a great question. Uh, in the sense of, I probably have similar answers to what many Clevelanders would probably say. Okay. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna plug the 30 for 30 uh, short called Believeland. I've spoken to it to uh, spoken about it to, to Terrence many times, mm -hmm. but that that really characterizes um, how the sports teams reflect uh, the personality of Cleveland. And you can basically say that for a lot of the sports towns like Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, uh, Tampa Bay, Houston, you name it, like almost every city will try to embody the personality of, of the uh, town that they're from. But the story of Cleveland is like, it's, it's, Cleveland has always embodied uh, how their sports teams have done. So I'll give you an example. In the 1940s, Cleveland was, at, at least at the end of the 1940s, or early 1950s, Cleveland was really at its peak as a city, very heavy manufacturing city. And at that same time, the Cleveland Browns had uh, were in the midst of joining the NFL from the AAFC, and they were winning championship upon championship or 
making it to the NFL championship with uh, Paul Brown and uh, Otto Graham in them. And at the same time, uh, the Cleveland Indians were pennant chasing. You know, 1948 was their last World Series. Uh, and then eventually, uh, as those teams were being uh, very successful, uh, the Browns won their last title in 1964. Like I said, the Indians uh, had won their last World Series in 1948. 1954, they had, I think, the best American League season for like 45 years or something like that until the Mariners won like 115 games in 2001. Wow. Uh, but they lost to uh, Willie Mays and the Giants, uh, New York Giants or San Francisco Giants. I forget when they moved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's that famous clip where you see Willie Mays kind of uh, yeah. going to the wall, catching over the shoulder. Some say that that's when um, that's one of the, I'm going to use a big word here, the impetus to <laughs> uh to to the uh, curse of cleveland if you will and there's and there's been a few um stories of curses like there's the curse of uh, rocky calavito um trading him to detroit rocky calavito was one of the uh better cleveland sluggers uh of all time in the 1950s 1960s and um we traded for an mvp candidate i forget what the guy's name was um Jeremy Fedor, our coworker, a Guardians team historian, would definitely know, mm-hmm. and uh, probably probably put me to shame for not knowing the name. But I digress. Um, uh, once that happened, um, the 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 Indians were really in like a coma from the uh, '60s, '70s, and uh, part of the '80s. But um, you know, just like it, like it, the the same uh, the same fire that was. Uh, you know, igniting the city in the 40s and early 50s just wasn't there. And I think that was kind of reflective of the city of Cleveland, too, in that um, the manufacturing, uh, the the heavy manufacturing realm just wasn't uh, what America was. And you saw people starting to leave Cleveland, uh, and the city was kind of in like a downward spiral for like the the 60s and the 70s. Uh, And that's kind of where, where, where the bad rap of Cleveland comes from like you've heard the story of the river catching on fire and stuff like that like people won't let the city live that down but um you know around that same time uh the calves were formed and the calves kind of um they may not have been the best team at first but they had their moments uh there's uh there's a moment uh known as the miracle at richfield uh where the calves finally won their first playoff series making a game-winning layup. I think it was to beat the Washington Bullets or someone like that, um, making a game-winning layup with three seconds left. Like that that threw the city in a frenzy that the Cavs were an expansion team that, that finally won a playoff series. And then, you know, in the 80s, uh, the Indians had, uh, you know, the probably the more famous moment is Len Barker throwing a perfect game. I think we're the I think we have the longest stretch of any MLB team that has not thrown a no hitter since that span, but I'll have to check on that. Wow. Uh, that's like a signature uh, Indians moment in the eighties. The Cavs had a bunch of teams with uh, Mark Price and Brad Doherty and Craig Elo in particular mm-hmm. that were competing in the Eastern conference with the likes of the um, Larry Bird Celtics when he was getting kind of uh, later into his career. Uh, and obviously the one that we can't live down is, uh Michael Jordan hitting the shot over Craig Elo um and you know that's one of the other things Cleveland's known for is uh anytime there's anytime there's a moment that starts with the word the if it's like the shot the drive the base hit whatever typically it's it, it's Cleveland that comes up with that and that kind of leads me to the Browns in the 80s um where they were finally starting to stockpile talent yeah. You know, late late 70s, we had an MVP quarterback named Brian Sipe. He's the last 4,000-yard passer for the Browns. Uh, we threw an interception uh, on a play called Red Right 88. Uh, we were playing the Los Angeles or Oakland Raiders, uh, and it was probably the coldest Brown team on record, except for the one that uh, I went to on Christmas Eve this past year. Um Browns lost that. People were thinking we were Super Bowl bound, but ultimately lost in the playoffs. And then the 80s came around with Marty Schottenheimer, Bernie Kosar, um, just tons of talented players and just could not get past the Denver Broncos. Lost three, 
three AFC championships to them, I believe, in four years. Are these Elway's Broncos? Yeah, yeah, Elway's Broncos. And then, uh, you know, the 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 90s, early 90s, um, the, the Browns were still kind of relevant. They had some guy named Bill Belichick as their coach. Not sure if you've heard of him. Uh, they had a guy named uh, Nick Saban as their defensive coordinator or, or as their defensive backs coach, maybe defensive coordinator, if you've heard of him. Yeah, doesn't ring a bell. Hmm. Yeah, no, doesn't really, uh, you know, just a name. Um, but no, um, you know, the Browns had some talented people there. And 1994 or 95, they're in first place in their division. And owner Art Modell, uh, you know, the city's going through some stuff where the uh, Indians and Cavaliers are getting some, uh, getting a new uh, facelift uh, with the new Gateway Plaza that you see that we walk through every day. Um, you know, with the Cavs Arena and the Guardian Stadium, the the Browns weren't really a, a part of that. And Art Modell, the owner, was looking for uh, money to give our stadium a facelift because the Browns were playing in the same stadium that the 1948 uh, Indians were playing in. You know, mm-hmm. so like, that stadium was reaching almost 50 years, if not over 50 years old, and. Uh, quite frankly, something something needed to be done because you can ask any uh, any Clevelander within uh, like my parents' age range in the like 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, people in their 70s even that that stadium was just it was an experience. I'll put it that way. Okay. Uh, and um, and no, so then uh, the team moves, and at the same time as that team moves was perfect timing because. Um, the city needed a team to rally around, and there's no better team to rally around than the 95 Cleveland Indians, um, which is uh, another thing that I want to get you to watch. There's an, there have been VHS tapes made of the 95 team and the 97 team, maybe other teams, but I know I, I watch the 95 VHS tape every year because it really exemplifies uh, what Cleveland what Cleveland is um, when they have a good team to uh, rally around. Um, and you asked this question, um, you asked this question maybe a, a week or two ago. You said, Luke, why is there, why is there 455 up there as, the, as like a retired number? Yeah. And I'm, that's, that's how many straight sellouts we had. Like, I'm not talking like, um, you know, you, you sell all the tickets, but it doesn't fill up all the way. The, the stadium was filled. Imagine our stadium filled. For every game from like 95 to 97. Yeah. Because the Browns were gone and the Cavs were kind of struggling at the time. And at the same time, the Indians had all that talent. Uh, and I can go down their lineup and almost, I think one through eight, you could potentially consider for the Hall of Fame. Like there's just wow. such a stacked lineup. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of rambling on about our city's history, but. No, but um, it's cool. It's really no, cool. No, but it, even it, even someone as young as as young as me, like someone who's uh, twenty three, going to be twenty four here in a couple months, um, this city uh, obviously means a lot to me. But uh, people acknowledge and absorb the history and the tribulations that Cleveland has been put through, and um, I don't want to say that we're the we're the carpet or rug that everybody stomps on. But we we take the hardships um, and the heartbreaking losses, whatever, as battle scars and as a way to think that, hey, when we do pull through, all these battle scars are going to make it that much more worth it um, when the teams come through with a championship. And, th- and that's kind of what happened with the Cavs when they came back from that 3-1 deficit. Oh, my um, gosh, yeah. You know, I mean, that, that that just set the city on fire. And the fact it happened on Father's Day, too. I mean, holy cow, just um, perfect timing with that. And then uh, five months later, the Indians go on a magical run to the World Series and they end up losing. Uh, they end up blowing a 3-1 lead. So that's kind of like the law of averages, if you will. You, you take away a 3-1 lead from the best team in uh, basketball history and then you lose a 3-1 lead to um, a team who I would say might have been if there was a team I would have uh, wanted to lose to, and I wouldn't want to lose to many teams, but yeah. you know, the, the Cubs drought was 
had to be like 97 years or over 100 years it was yeah it was like 108 years i think 108 years right and the the thing is is like you mentioned the stories about cleveland sports but that was one of the craziest stories in all of sports was the cubs hadn't won a world series in over 100 years because that's one of the most storied franchises in all of baseball. Like they have an iconic field, iconic Jersey, iconic. It's an iconic city. So it's like seeing them do like me being a completely impartial person at the, at the time being like, obviously I'm, I'm 100% in on Cleveland, Cleveland guardians, Cleveland, Cleveland, Cleveland Indians sports. I looked at that story. I was like, this is amazing. Like, they coming back from a 3-1 deficit after a hundred plus years of not winning a World Series. It was ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. No, and 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 see, that's the thing about uh me, me kind of like how you said, like um being well versed. Mm-hmm. I I understand perspective in sports. So mm-hmm. like it's one thing to just constantly be be cheering for for your team to win. And and obviously if you're not a sports fan if you're if you don't have at least uh, some kind of history with a sports team whether you're an impartial reporter now um, or if you're just like a diehard fan right now you know um, I understood the perspective of the Cubs winning that World Series um, and personally for me in my lifetime I think that's the best um, the best seven game series of any sport um since i've been alive because and and you know i watched the playoff sports the playoff hockey the playoff basketball playoff baseball playoff football you know um obviously playoff football is only only a one game deal but uh basketball and hockey in particular uh, and, and baseball are all seven game series but if you think about it those two teams they had they the Cubs had the National League's longest drought without a championship, and the Indians had the American League's longest. Wow. So now, so now that the Cubs won, the, the 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 Guardians, the team we work for now, has the longest World Series drought. But think about it. That's Terrence. The equivalent to that is the Browns and the Lions playing in the Super Bowl, right? Like the two basically most lovable losers in football for the last probably 20 years or so. Because if you remember the Lions in the 90s, they had some good teams with Barry Sanders back there running back. And mm-hmm. obviously the Browns and Lions, like I said, two teams that were very good in the 40s and 50s. The Lions beat us in some cha- in some NFL championship games too. So, you know, like uh, just imagine a Browns versus Lions Super Bowl, two teams with I don't want to say the longest championship drought because I think that that uh, designation belongs to the Arizona Cardinals, but um, just think about the, think about putting two teams with the longest championship droughts and they're playing for the championship, right? It's like the, it's like two Davids facing off, Yeah, you know? So like, that's, that to me, uh, and the fact that it went seven games and, you know, it goes back and forth. Cleveland's up three-one, and then Chicago takes five and six. Uh, Hardover get game seven. Rajay Davis hitting that uh, line drive home run. We both got the chance to meet him. The uh, yep. meet him a couple weeks ago. Great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, very well spoken. And you know, just uh, there's moments like that too. Just like the whole the, the whole Cleveland experience. Um, people ride and die by the commentators too. Yeah, you know there are people that will try to screen record a Tom Hamilton signature home run call like yesterday with Josh Naylor uh, hitting his uh, hitting a, a go ahead home run in the eighth inning or later for the third consecutive game, the first player to do so since 1961 or the MLB expansion era. Um, you know you you got people that uh, ride or die by the uh, commentators. You have people that ride or die by the players who live through the city's personality of maybe not being the biggest superstar, but um, playing to the best of their capability to reflect uh, the gritty, hard-nosed nature of Cleveland. Um, you know, just people absorb all that. And I love to see it too, because it, it 
doesn't just build on team character it builds on the city's character too yeah wow like this whole this this city and learning more about how it has it is the way it is and why the sports teams are the way way they are has been such a good such a great experience especially coming from someone who was born and raised in a college town you know i wasn't around these professional sports organizations like i'm not necessarily close to any real professional sports organizations outside of the buffalo bills who have had you know a similar run who had a similar run as the indians in the 90s where you know they were so good but they never got over the hump and it was that's and you you see the passion and the love that these dedicated fans have for these teams and it's very admirable and you know i enjoy i enjoy speaking with you every day because i feel like i learn something every time you talk about this stuff um appreciate that of course of course and so let's talk a little bit about a little bit more about your your journey into how you got to where uh you are today and I guess to to start off is after college, like you graduated last year with your bachelor's. After college, you basically and were well deserving of it. You basically got to work for the Cleveland Browns as your first job out of college. Am I not mistaken? You're not mistaken. Yeah. So what was that experience like? You know, being born two days before they came back, like being a lifelong Browns fan, whole entire family's a Browns fan. And now you're in that front office, you're working in that building, you know, just, just, you know, I, I've, I saw your desk. I saw you where your desk was and where some of the offices were like, you were a short, you know, 30 second walk away from Steven, Kevin Stefanski's door and literally a two second walk from the owner's uh, office. So like, what was that like? Um, you know, I, I, I want to say first and foremost that uh, my time with the Browns was uh, nothing short of a dream come true. Uh, just in the sense of not only, um, not only did I get to work or get the chance to have experience uh, with an organization that um, I grew up um, investing uh investing time and emotion into but um also getting to learn the inner mechanisms of how the organization was being run all the different factions uh of people and groups of people that uh go into producing a multi-billion dollar professional sports organization um just like the uh the staff i got to work with in general uh, Peter John Baptiste, uh, Rob McBurnett, who's now with the Columbus Crew, uh, Dan Murphy, who's uh, director of uh, um, he's director of football communications. Um, uh, Peter John Baptiste is uh, kind of like the overarching director of communications, and then uh, Mike Anarella and Dom Page, Dom, who you've got to meet, Terrence, uh, both communications coordinators. Uh, just my time with them uh, was such a blessing uh, in the sense of how much I got to learn from them about what goes into uh, football communications. But, um, you know, just like the um, being able to work with a team with uh, that, that had such, such high expectations and, you know, didn't really have the best year. Um, I guess you can call it growing pains, but it's uh, it's like what I tell people is when your team wins, it makes your job easier. But uh, I couldn't have asked for a better experience just in the sense of um, I got to learn um, through, through, through the team's adversity uh, how to deal with certain PR situations and, uh, you know, just kind of be a fly on the wall and uh, absorb what I can and learn what I can and uh, apply what I've learned through high school and college, whatever, to um, just kind of learn about the whole intricacy of decision making and stuff like that. And, um, you know, just being able to have the chance to work with them, uh, be it the 
be at the Berea facility Monday through Friday, uh, be at the game on uh, Sunday. Um, you know, it is just a fantastic, uh, fantastic experience. And obviously met some uh, great, great people um, that keep that organization running that I still keep in touch with. Um, and then uh, obviously uh, on a little after the Super Bowl, I, I started with the Cleveland Guardians and uh, ran into uh, a couple people named uh, Terrence Eccles and uh, Sam Stack and uh, Emma Maloney, the the Fantastic Four, uh, now the Fantastic Five with the addition of uh, Clay Stark to our group. Um, you know, it's uh, in sports, you're typically expected to travel or not be in the same spot, but I'm I'm forever grateful that uh, my first two jobs, if you will, or internships have been in Cleveland uh, with two teams that I've loved and grew up watching. And, uh, you know, kind of like you said, you know, you're like, I was a 30, like a 30 second walk from Kevin Stefanski's office, worked right across from uh, Jimmy Haslam's office. But, um, you know, I'm not, I, I, I'm not very much of a fanboy in that sense. Um, you know, it, like they're, they're everyday people like you and me, um, th their job is just to make very important decisions, important choices. Um, you know, just like they, they have an important position, but they're a person like you and me, like, like we can have a conversation with them. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it was a great experience to, uh, be in, be in the Browns building and it's a great experience to be in the Guardians building, you know. Um, being able to being able to attend uh, Tito Francona's uh, press conference, uh, work with work with our comm staff too. You know, it's uh, um, it's a joy to be a part of. It's a joy to watch how things unfold. And um, you know, I, I I get questions about the difference between working for a football organization and a baseball organization. And I always tell people it's like you're listening to a different song or you're marching to a different type of beat, right? So for the Browns, um, you know, we're, there's one game a week. We're putting all the, all our communications efforts toward that one game a week. We'll have press conferences on certain days. Uh, we'll have a, we'll have a day between uh, where we start press conferences and the day of the game itself. And, you know, putting all the effort toward a weekly release Whereas in baseball, it's 162 games. You have 81 home games. Uh, me and Stan, the, my co-intern, are putting stuff out pretty much uh, on the daily. Yeah. Uh, for the for the off days today, it's basically basically like a research day for me. Um, you know, just kind of reflect on what the team's done up to this point, and maybe uh, find something that hasn't really been seen or talked about yet. And um, you know. It, it's just a it's just a different beat you're trading eight home games for 81 home games uh 17 games for 162 games uh and you know terrence we were talking with the reporters uh yesterday you know baseball is very much like the news cycle because what what you see or experience one day if you turn the page and go to the next day it could it's pretty much obsolete because yeah. the whole the whole universe the whole baseball universe or the baseball continent if you will has changed in some way shape or form across every team um and that's kind of one of that, that's one of the great things i've come to understand too is different sports move different uh on the news cycle and journalism cycle and it's kind of why you see a lot of uh, polar gravitation towards uh football because in football you have one game a week it's uh it's one game a week for 17 or 18 weeks uh it's not like you're playing every day and the stats are constantly changing the stats and stuff stay the same once the games are done on sunday or monday um and you keep the same storylines going whereas in baseball you know it, it's you you could be in a you could be having games where you only get two hits as a team for three games and then the next three days you're getting 10 plus hits, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it always changes in baseball. Um, but that's also one of the things that I, that I, that I like about the sport is, you know, you're never out of it until 
there's fewer games left than games you're behind. Yeah. Uh, you know, so um, there are people that uh, don't like uh, when the when our team, the Guardians, start slow. But you know, uh, I, I, I'm sorry about your 76ers uh, yesterday, but you know, it's the it's the whole trust the process thing. You know, I mean, it's uh, that's that's part of baseball is you have to trust the process of uh, who your leader is, what your team is comprised of. Um, and that's kind of why why we're in good hands with Terry Francona at the helm. Great hands, uh, yeah. Yeah, great hands, great name, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shout out my guy. Yeah, the only two uh, the only two Terrences in the Cleveland Guardians organization, uh, Terry Francona and Terrence Eccles. Yeah. <laughs> but no, um, but no, that's that's the thing though. Honestly, is uh, with a team like us, youngest team in baseball but one of the most experienced um, and su- experienced and successful managers in the game. I mean, it, all you can do is trust the process and just uh, wait for the season to unfold. And, uh, and that's the thing about baseball is it's very much a, a, a reflective type of sport. You can't make harsh realizations or generalizations. Uh, we're through 25% of the season. So, I mean, you can make like, uh, first quarter reactions but it's like it's like a football game are you are you going to judge a team that's uh, basically tied after the first quarter and say oh this team's not going anywhere no you like maybe maybe through like 120 games you'll start to kind of get a feel like hey this team's got a real shot at the postseason yeah or you know that's one of the things too is I I look at seasons like I look at seasons like football games in a sense where there's one football game a week We've had probably 20, 20 home games, I want to say, as a as a team now. So, like, you know, we're through the first quarter. And yeah. uh, home games-wise, we're, like, 8 and 12 or something like that. So, you know, just, like, we're down a, we're down a field goal, you know? So just kind of work your way back from that deficit one game at a time, and uh, you'll be fine. And even if they're not, one of the joys of uh, my job and Sam's job is – uh, and it's kind of with my personality too, is find, find the good in everything. Um, even, even if the team's struggling, somebody's at least doing well at something. Um, if it's not in the short term, then it's in the long term. but that's one of the great things about being in baseball info is finding the positive in basically everything. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I have that same sort of mindset in that approach to life. My thing is like, it's never actually, stuff in life is never actually negative. There's, there's always a positive in something and you can find it if you have an optimistic mindset and you have an optimistic outlook. However, if I'm being truly honest, the one area that I do fall short in uh, when it comes to being optimistic and it comes to being positive and it comes to being happy and it comes to being excited is in sports. I have been a sore loser since I was a young boy. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I used to cry every time I lost a game. Like every time I lost a pickup game, I used to cry. I I hate losing more than anything in the world. It's the worst feeling. It's the worst. And I'm glad you brought my Sixers up. You know, I just finished crying. I just dried the tears from that last night um, earlier today. Uh, so thank thanks for bringing that up. Uh, you know what? I was trying to see how long I would go without uh, mentioning it in 45 minutes. That was about the benchmark. <laughs> so sorry so sorry to make you relive that no it's hey man um it hurts now it's tough to see and i had such high aspirations for this team but at the end of the day like what what, what are you gonna say the last year you're the i think last year the three seed you lose to the one seed your your star player gets injured uh, this year, everyone is, you know, healthy enough for the playoffs and you lose to the two seed after one of the best players in the NBA has 51 points in a game. Like, what do you, what, what can you do? You know what I mean? You're already the, you're already the three seed facing the two seed, but then you have one of the best two-way players in the league and Jason Tatum, and he has 51 points. Like what, what are, what are you going to be able to do? So 
you know, we'll see where we go from here. I'm optimistic. Uh, you know, I, I like to have that mindset, but I think everything's going to work itself out. And um, speaking about how you've enjoyed your time so far with the Guardians and have built that sort of idea of, you know, breaking the season down into chunks instead of looking at, at every game as, you know, it's the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world, depending on the outcome. Um, what are your thoughts on just sort of this past weekend? You know, we had a really exciting weekend with the Angels in town and two of the best players in the world and Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And seeing the Guardians have a, one comeback win and then two other exciting games where Josh Naylor hits an eighth inning home run to put to give the team the lead. Um, what What are your thoughts on just how how this past weekend went? Um, so, yeah, uh, this this past weekend, you could even say this past week in general because it was our longest homestand of the season. Uh, nine home games, we had six straight, and then an off day, three games with the Angels, and then today we're off before the team sets off for Chicago and then uh, playing at the Mets before they come back home. Um, you know, every season, every season is its own story. Uh, last year, uh, we were playing at the White Sox, um, similar record to what we are now. And Josh Naylor produced one of the best uh, post eighth inning performances we've yeah. ever seen in football history with seven RBIs, two home runs, just like something ridiculous. But that really sparked our season. And I truly feel um, I'm not going to go and say, oh, this this weekend's going to spark our season or anything like that. But uh, what I will say is that I feel you, you, Sam, Emma, the other interns really finally saw for the first time um, a Cleveland rally, not once, but thrice, three times. Um, what that, what that does for the city, um, but also how loud our fans can be. Um I believe there's there's an interview out there or something of either Mariano Rivera or Joe Torre talking about like the one place that um, like the fans were just obnoxious or loud or a tough environment to play in. Um, while they did mention Fenway, I know that you're a big Red Sox guy. They mentioned Cleveland, you know, like playing playing in Cleveland in the postseason, especially when it's a night game. Um, you know, I'm kind of biased being from the area, but there's not very much like it. And you guys kind of got a taste with that, with whether it's, it was the Shohei and Mike Trout effect that brought people to the ballpark, or if it was the fact that we had such nice weather for this nine game homestand. That's one of the things I talked with our boss, Curtis Danberg about briefly was, you know, uh, one of the things we worry about is weather. Uh, because it, it, it costs money for us to postpone a game and play a doubleheader uh, on a different day or a different part of the season or the next day, whatever it is. Um, I think that's one of the things, too, is uh, asking for nice weather in Cleveland for a nine-game homestand in May is sometimes a lot to ask for, but we, we really got that, got all nine games in. And uh, no, you know, this weekend, I obviously really highlighted by um, Josh Naylor hitting those three go-ahead eighth-inning home runs. But I kind of called it with you guys in the sense of typically almost every season in Cleveland, at least under Terry Francona, there's a mid-May resurgence. Hmm. Whether, whether it's short-lasted or if it lasts for the rest of the month, um, the offense um, – and that's kind of the other thing too, is that uh, most baseball players, at least on our team, are tip typically acclimated to playing in warm climates. So when it's cold to start the season, you know, like there's not as many uh, not as many big hit outings or mm -hmm. not as not as many long balls. I know we're I know we're kind of uh, one of the uh, lowest ranked teams with the long ball this year, but you know what? That's that's not our style. We we play small ball. We try to play. Um, we try to play smart. We try to uh, pick and choose our uh, moments to utilize our power. And 
sure enough, Josh Naylor uh, picked three uh, great times to utilize that. Um, but, you know, my feelings on the weekend overall was um, I was kind of glad that uh, you guys got to see um, see the stadium come alive uh, in, in a really big way. Um, and, you know, all, all we can hope is that the, that the team can uh, carry it forward and, and hopefully uh, make, make another postseason run. But, you know, like I said, it, it's, it, the season is in chunks. We're 19 and 21 at the moment. Uh, we're three and a half games back in, in the AL Central. And, you know, just ride the wave. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. I think at this point in the season last year, we were 17 and 23 is what I heard. Yeah, you know, 17, so, 18, 22, something like that. But, you know, like we're, we're right around there. And it's not – when people compare with that, it's not necessarily saying, oh, we're going to win 92 games again this year. Maybe we just need to win 85. Maybe, maybe we need to win 87. Um, but, you know, it, maybe, maybe we have to win more than 92. We just don't know until the season kind of unfolds. Mm-hmm. So, and that's kind of the, the point that I've been hammering. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess sort of until then, you just have to sort of just, like you mentioned earlier, riding the wave and, and just maintaining at least like maintaining a spot to where you're in contention. And then, um, you know, like, like you said earlier, also keeping the amount of games we have left under the amount of games were back, right? Or did I get that wrong? No, yeah, yeah. So so like for example, if you're if you're six games back and there's four games left in the season, the best you can do is finish two games back. Like 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 you won't make the playoffs. Yeah. Um but you know and 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 football kind of works differently in that way. Um for the Browns, uh you know, week two, your your New York Jets uh, Browns had won their first season opener, uh, no second season opener since I've been alive, if you can believe that. Wow. They're, they're like they're they're like two and two and twenty one or two and twenty now in against the Bengals, right? Week one, it it was actually I think against the uh, I think it was against the Ravens. They were either coming off a Super Bowl or had won a Super Bowl two years prior, but. Uh, there was that game, and then the Panthers game. Cade York made a ridiculous 57, 58 yard field goal for the win against our former quarterback Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, like there's there's that too. Uh, that kind of goes back to me understanding the storylines and um, that and the fact that each game has its own story and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's super that's super interesting, man, and. Um, no, I don't, I don't want to take up too, too much of your time. And, you know, I, I think we should wrap things up, but, um, as someone who has worked for multiple sports organizations in the city, you grew up in the the teams you grew up loving, um, what would be an ideal sort of situation for you in terms of moving forward and, and where you want to go with your career? Uh, because I can see multiple routes you can go down um, just being the type of person you are and with your skill set. What, what is something in sports that you think is, is what you aspire to do? And, and, you know, maybe I don't, it doesn't have to be a specific organization, but what, what's something that you aspire to do and aspire to accomplish in this, in this field? No, I, I, that's a great question. Uh, Basically, uh, my my ideal end goal is to be uh, full-fledged into one of the communication departments, whether that's uh, with the Guardians, Browns, Cavs. I would I would love to stay in Cleveland. Um, I, I, I would do anything to stay in the city, but uh, obviously uh, with the way the sports world works, um, you can't always get uh, exactly what you want. So like if I have to do it somewhere else, I'll do it somewhere else and find all the positives and, uh, and good things in that. Uh, and part of that too, is just kind of, you know, like I, I've, I've, I've been here my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've found, I've found the joy 
across all levels, whether it's high school, college, professional levels. Um, that's kind of what's helped stoke my love for the area too, is uh, finding joy in each one of those levels uh, in, some, uh, in some way or form. So um, no, ultimately just being, being a full-fledged member, whether it's a director of communications or a coordinator, or a director of some branch of communication, kind of like uh, Courtberry Trip and Bart Swain are, but um, you know, just being being somebody um, being somebody who's um, who's there for because communications is not just uh, like a spokesperson or uh, entity speaking on behalf of the organization. There's a lot of dynamics that go into it with players and coaches and front office people needing to convey the right message. And then at the same time, you're also trying to work with uh, media members and be accommodating with them because they have a job to do. And ultimately you wanna keep that relationship strong between your organization, your players and other members of your team with the media members as well. I was talking with um, one of the one of the reporters in our uh, press box and um, they complimented me on just the fact that I'm trying to, or not that I'm trying to establish a relationship with them, but I care about what they're doing too. And that's, I think one of my stronger qualities is that I've, I find the joy in all the puzzle pieces. Um, that go into the experience of covering the sport, whether it's my job or your job in community impact and community engagement and bringing players out to the community, doing different initiatives, going to different places, doing different things. Um, because your job is, in my opinion, just as important as mine, because I think it's important to get uh, the right information, the right storylines out to the people but it's also important for the players to understand the community that they're working with and uh, fostering relationships that uh, can go a long way. I mean, uh, we can look at uh, we can look at Josh Naylor this this past week, whether it was uh, cooking with Naylor or um, what other whatever other community community initiatives he's been a part of you know every time he hit that home run he's looking up in the stands I think someone somebody might have might have been there or something like that His mom, yeah yeah that was the reason like like he like he's pointing up there or mm -hmm. uh, if there's uh, certain certain people that have been that have been part of that um you know it it gives it, it gives people purpose in the organization to strive to be the best that they can because they know that they're inspiring someone Hence, CLE inspires uh, <laughs> what what you kind of help run, but but no, I mean it. It just goes to show that uh, all the different puzzle pieces that go into making the organization run run the way it does, but also uh, how the organization is covered, um, is what makes communication such an important branch of sports, no matter what level or what. Um, what overarching organization like NBA, NHL, MLB, um, no matter what, no matter what team or what branch you're a part of, it's it's very important. And I've just found the joy in everything that goes into it from both inside and outside the organization. Um, and you know, if I do ever get the chance to be a uh, director of communications or uh, be a director of some kind, uh, whether it's something that uh, Dan Murphy does for the Browns or Courtberry Trip and Austin Contrulis do for the Guardians, you know, um, just th throwing those guys' names out there because they've been such uh, such big helps to me uh, and to those that I've worked with, um, you know, like that's something that I would definitely aspire to, uh, definitely aspire to do. Absolutely. And now I'm glad, I, I, I'm glad that you, see the value in giving people their flowers and acknowledging people for what they do. And I appreciate you for that LP. Um, I guess the last thing I'll ask uh, before we get off here is what advice would you give to say someone 
who is aspiring to do what you're doing in, you know, sports communication realm or advice you would give to your younger self when you were first starting out in, you know, say college and, you know, deciding to study communications? Wow, man, that's a loaded final question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no, that's good. Um, you know, I, I, I've been blessed to be around um, some great groups of people. Um, I have to give a shout to um, current sports info director at John Carroll, Joe Ginley, um, and some of his former and one current um, student, if you will, students, uh, Noah Tyluki, he's the current uh, GA of the sports info department. He's uh, going to be transitioning to a different job here soon. And uh, Kyle Kelly, uh, who's been one of the uh, one of the best uh, sports information mentors I probably could have asked for because he was kind of uh, the first person I reached out to when I started the sports information journey. He's now writing for uh, Notre Dame football for a couple of different organizations. Um, but no, those uh, um, those two individuals helped me um, help me drive to experience all the different things that go into sports information. Which I think would would be my first piece of advice is to kind of be a yes man, in the sense of if there's something that needs to be done, um, and there's an opportunity to learn about something, is to say yes because it's better to know it than not know it at all. Um, that's kind of the way that I go about it is um, if, if, if you're able to at least have a semblance of understanding of how everything works, um, if it's something that your boss does that uh, if he, if, if your boss is offering you uh, to, to try something new, just say yes. Um, and um, yeah, so basically just try, try things that um are outside, I don't want to say outside of your comfort zone, but, but are outside of what you know you can do well. So that way you can become more well-versed in, in that realm. Um, yeah, so just try new things, um, foster relationships across as many levels as you can. If it's, yeah. you don't have to take the same path I did, but you know, try to keep the relationships back with your, back with my high school relationships with my college, relationships with the, with the teams that either I have worked for or currently work for, yep. um, you know, just things like that. I mean, I, I love, um, I love being able to give back and uh, not, 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 not necessarily mentor, but perhaps, uh, you know, give advice to people that are um, looking to try to find their niche uh within sports information i, I mean there's th there's no better way to gain experience than uh to try new things or i'll give you one really good example real quick is um my junior year or uh like right around after covid started um we didn't have anybody to cover the women's lacrosse team mm. and you know women's lacrosse like a few years ago is kind of still like a sport on the rise um, and I took the time to learn the terminology, learn the rules of the game, um, you know, talk with the talk with the coach some, get some understanding of not just how the sport worked, but like uh, players to watch out for, stuff like that. And sure enough, they won their first conference championship and uh, ended up making a run in the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, I wouldn't have had that experience if I didn't uh, say yes to the challenge of not just learning a new sport, but uh, learning, learning how to cover it as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what I would say to, to, to people who might be looking to get into the sports and information realm is, uh, don't be, don't be afraid to say yes. Um, don't be afraid to, uh, expand what you're capable of doing and don't be afraid to keep the, keep the relationships tight. Um, across all your platforms if it's uh, whether it's just the college level and the professional level or if you can bring it back down to high school and uh, youth sports too um just making as many ladders and connections as you can is so crucial 
And that is something I will echo is it's all about connections and relationship building. And that's something you do a great job of. That's something I try to do a great job of. Um, and that's something that within our organization is stressed. And I think that's such a great thing about the Guardians organization is that they do emphasize, you know, developing those relationships, having those meetings, talking to people, um, just creating a, a general bond with each other. And I think that's why that makes the, this organization such a great one. Um, but no, Luke, this has been great. I really appreciate your time this morning, man. And uh, I wish you the best of luck uh, moving everything out at uh, John Carroll. Yeah, and I got some of it out already. So, uh, you know, won't be as bad today. But, but no, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I know we tried to make this work a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I had some things pop up, but uh, but glad I was glad we were able to take take the off day and uh, make something happen out of it. And uh, I'll see you at work tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see you at work tomorrow, man. Thank you. This is how this is okay. Th I want to say this very short so I can make sure it's like it pierces somebody's ears. I think a relationship with God and blessings is just wisdom. I think that he you're borrowing his wisdom. I think when people make a decision, it's based off of their intellect. I don't want to touch that fire because it's going to burn me. Mm. I'm not going to do drugs because it's going to break my parents' hearts. A lot of things that we don't do that's not good for us is based off of fear. And so that's why I've kind of tell people like people that are fear the Lord are really happy people because they stay away from things that are going to torment them. They're going to destroy their homes. They're going to destroy their families. When I was in middle school or high school and all these people were smoking weed and drinking, they were all thinking about themselves. I want to be fun. I want to be cool. Mm -hmm. I want to do this. My thoughts and my friends that are Christians were like, what is this going to do to my mom? Yeah. What is it going to do this to my dad? Like, you, once you start thinking about yourself, you're, you're going to start corrupting yourself. So it's just a relationship. Like, you don't, I tell people, like, you don't have to be clean to come to God the same way you don't have to be clean to jump into the shower. Yeah. Just jump in. Just yeah. have a relationship. See if it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, then bounce. Leave. If you're going to try everything, bro, like at least try that. It's going to yeah. maybe make your life a lot